0: The hip gets less attention in sports medicine than other joints. What are the types of non-arthritic hip pain a clinician needs to be able to recognise in order to make an accurate diagnosis? You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Mary Lushar your host. And joining me today from New York is Dr. Brian Kelly. Dr. Kelly is Assistant Professor of Orthopaedic Surgery at the Weill Medical College of Cornell University. He's a specialist in sports medicine and arthroscopic surgery at the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York, and also an assistant team physician for the New York Giants football team. Today, we're discussing the diagnosis of non-arthritic hip pain in both recreational and elite athletes. Welcome, Dr. Kelly.
1: Hello. How are you doing?
0: Very well, and thanks for joining us. The hip's not a fashionable joint in the history of sports medicine practice. How did you develop a personal interest in this area?
1: Uh, Well, my initial background was in general sports medicine, and traditionally sports injuries have been injuries relegated to the shoulder and the knee. Uh, In the last probably seven or eight years, there's been an increased interest in interarticular or non-arthritic type injuries in the hip joint itself. After I completed my training in shoulder and knee sports medicine, I did some additional training with Um, a hip arthroscopist at University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, Dr. Mark Philippon, and spent a year focusing just on hip injuries in athletes and and non-arthritic hip injuries. And my practice is now focused on that, uh, although I still do general sports injuries as well.
0: Why do you think the hip gets less attention than other joints?
1: I think traditionally the hip has been a joint that has been the joint that either breaks when you get old or gets arthritis when you get old and we have very good surgeries that have successful outcomes for both of those problems. The hip replacement, which uh, developed in in the 70s, has become probably one of the most favorable outcome surgeries in all of orthopedics. So a lot of people who are coming in at young ages with what would be considered non-arthritic hip pain were either told they had a hip flexor strain, a groin pull, or early arthritis, and were told it would either get better on its own, or if it were... Arthritis uh, would get bad enough someday they'd need a hip replacement and they were sort of shunned off. There's a lot of reasons for the difficulty with diagnosis, but it's a complex joint which is deeply recessed in the center of the body and there's 27 muscles crossing the joint and it's hard to access and it's really hard to make an accurate diagnosis or, or was in the past. and then Now we have a lot more information about the different types of injuries that can occur.
0: How do you classify hip injuries that aren't due to arthritis?
1: There's no uh, specific classification system, if I have a patient who comes into my office who has hip pain, the first thing that I would like to do is is get an x-ray and make sure that they don't have arthritis. If their joint space is well-preserved and they don't have any of the traditional signs of arthritis, like joint space narrowing or uh, osteophytes uh, forming around the hip joint, Uh, then I start to try to go into a relatively broad differential diagnosis as to where the pain may be coming from. Probably the the most important thing to distinguish early on in the uh, clinical workup is whether the pain is coming from inside the hip joint or outside the hip joint or an extra-articular source versus an intra-articular source. Uh, Extra-articular sources of hip pain are probably still the most common and they do include things like groin pull or hip flexor strain. However, as we've learned more about this phenomena, realizes that people who are having recurrent strains and pulls around the hip joint and the musculature oftentimes have some abnormality in the way the mechanics of the hip joint are working which have which lead to these repetitive injuries so the the primary thing is to determine whether it's an intra-articular uh, process really occurring inside the joint or an extra-articular or a muscular process.
0: And what are the causes that you see in your athletic population particularly your footballers?
1: The most common thing that we see in general in this field are uh, labral tears when we're talking about an intra uh, injury. The labrum is a piece of cartilage or fibrocartilage which surrounds the outer perimeter of the hip socket or the acetabulum and it's histologically very similar to the meniscus in the knee with a labrum in the shoulder. It tears for a bunch of different reasons and actually has a significantly different function, but tears of the acetabular labrum are really the primary diagnosis that the majority of the patients come in uh, to see me for if they've been identified as having an intraticular source. There are, are, however, a bunch of different reasons why a labrum will tear, and once you've identified the inside of the hip joint as being the source, then it's a relatively long, drawn-out process trying to figure out why did it tear in the first place, uh, what were the underlying causes.
0: What are the symptoms of labral tears apart from, say, clicking and pain? Are there anything else that clinicians can look out
1: for? People with labral tears will complain of uh, pain in their groin. Most people will complain of uh, problems when they're sitting for a long time. And, in fact, oftentimes will have less pain when they're up walking around, which distinguishes it significantly from either a muscular problem or an arthritic component. A lot of times they have pain with rotational maneuvers, so getting in and out of a car will be difficult for long periods of sitting. For a long time, for a car ride or even through a movie sometimes, will cause a lot of discomfort, and it's probably due to, the labrum getting pinched in the joint, oftentimes between fairly significant bone spurs that that exist, particularly in the setting of impingement.
0: Which sporting activities place the most load on the hip joint and what are the forces involved?
1: Uh, Well, I think the primary things that affect the hip joint are high impact loading, so axial load uh, that is generated through the hip joint and uh, then things that uh, place the hip into a deep flexion angle but any sporting activity where the involved leg, uh, where the foot is fixed to the ground, a fixed femur, and the pelvis rotates across it with a rotational component to it, can lead to significant both rotational and shear forces across the hip joint. And almost any athletic activity will do that, Uh, even things like golf, where you're rotating through a golf swing, where your foot is fixed down to the ground, creates a tremendous amount of rotational shear forces across the front of the joint. Probably the biggest, uh, the sports that that are the worst for the hip joint are, are impact sports. Um, if I think of any of all the sports that you can think of, probably the one that combines all of the things that are bad for the hip joint is a sport like squash, where there's a high impact load across the hip joint on a hardwood floor, but you also go into a deep squat or a lunge oftentimes to try to get the squash ball, and then you twist on it all at the same time. So the three main components, which is axial loading, high flexion angles, and rotational shear forces are all combined into one sport.
0: At what age do you start seeing label tears in athletes?
1: You can see it at any age, but uh, typically they start in athletes sometime in the mid to late teens. Oftentimes those are misdiagnosed, however, as a groin pull or a chronic groin strain. Probably the most common age group that we start to see it in regularly are people in their late 20s and early 30s because those are the people that maybe have always had some sort of problem with their hips or with groin pulls sort of ignored it and then have gotten to a point where they maybe even retired from their high-level sport, whether it was collegiate or professional, but then they're starting to have difficulty with just recreational activities or even with sort of normal activities of daily living. And that's the group when they come in, they have had labral pathology and oftentimes bony femoris impingement that has gone on for years. They've sort of ignored it, and now they've gotten into an area where the cartilage inside the hip joint has started to break down And they're crossing over into the realm of non-arthritic to early arthritic hip pain, which obviously is a downhill spiral from there.
0: If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Lusharz, and joining me today is Dr. Brian Kelly from the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York. We're discussing the diagnosis of non-arthritic hip pain in athletes. Dr. Kelly, you mentioned femoroacetabular impingement. How do you diagnose this clinically?
1: Uh, Impingement is a a condition where the shape of the femoral head, which is the ball portion of the hip socket, doesn't adequately fit within the hip socket or the acetabulum. The reason that this occurs is probably congenital or developmental, meaning that it occurs at a process either either when you're first born or during the early stages of development uh, when the hip is remodeling or molding itself into its normal shape. When the hip joint doesn't fit properly, there becomes bony impaction between the femoral head, and the socket at different ranges of motion. So the diagnosis is typically made in a patient who has no radiographic evidence of arthritis, but has hip pain, typically with decreased internal rotation where the knee is brought inward toward the midline, what's called an impingement sign, where at the end range of your motion, you get a sharp pain, catch, or a locking sensation. Radiographically, there are ways to diagnose it so that you can really evaluate the bony anatomy and identify exactly where the misfit is occurring and where the impingement is occurring.
0: What x-ray views do you need to diagnose this problem?
1: I start off with a um, simple plain x-ray of the uh, pelvis, an AP pelvis, that I get in a supine position with the feet internally rotated 15 degrees, standardized the position of the neck to the femur. And then we get a lateral view. It's called a dun lateral. That's done D-U-N-N, uh, which is performed with a hip and uh, 90 degrees of hip flexion, 20 degrees of abduction, uh, which gives you evaluation of the contour of the uh, head-neck junction where the femoral head or the ball becomes the neck.
0: And what's the function of MRI and diagnosis of uh, intraarticular hip pathology?
1: Well, the bony abnormalities that are seen in impingement lead to repetitive impaction between the femoral head and the, and the acetabulum. Ultimately, this leads to shear injury to the cartilage and a crush injury to the labrum. So the MRI's purpose is to identify what's the soft tissue component of the mechanical impingement, and how bad has the labrum been damaged, and what's the extent of the chondral damage within the acetabulum. Really, the way we think about impingement now is this is a pre-arthritic condition. This is a condition that, because of the misfit between the ball and the socket, there's going to be a slow deterioration of the cartilage within the hip joint until ultimately it breaks down to the point where you actually do have arthritis. The purpose of the MRI is to evaluate what's the extent of that chondral wear and what's the extent of the labral pathology associated with the impingement.
0: What's the alpha angle?
1: The alpha angle is a radiographic estimate of what the loss of this offset is. So if you think of the, the hip joint as a perfect ball and socket, if you draw a perfect sphere around that femoral head and the neck, which is, is much thinner than the ball, the alpha angle is an average angle of around 42 degrees in normal patients. And people with impingement, you've lost their normal sphericity of the femoral head, and it becomes more oblonged or egg-shaped. And so when you try to draw a perfect sphere around the head, the femoral head actually exits the sphere that you've drawn and elevates your alpha angle. So patients with increased alpha angles, usually greater than the angle of 50 degrees, are considered patients who have loss of their offset, an aspherical head. That's the radiographic definition of somebody with femoralized tabular impingement.
0: What's the role of dynamic ultrasound in your practice in diagnosing hip injuries?
1: Dynamic ultrasound can be very helpful in evaluating a variety of different snapping hip syndromes. The two most common that we see are an internal snapping hip or an external snapping hip. The internal snapping hip is snapping of the psoas tendon, which is one of the primary hip flexors as it crosses the front of the hip joint. It can snap over the acetabular rim, femoral head, or something called the iliopectinial eminence, which is a bony protuberance off the anterior aspect of the acetabulum. The role of dynamical sound in the setting of internal snapping hip is to try to prove that the sensation that the patient is getting when they feel a pop and they have pain is actually occurring by the snapping of the psoas tendon over one of those three bony protuberances. External snapping hip, which is snapping of the iliotibial band over the greater trochanter, occurs on the lateral aspect of the hip. And the same thing, sometimes it's nice to prove that what you're seeing or which, what the patient is feeling and what you're observing clinically is truly what you think it is, and the dynamic ultrasound can prove that the band, the iliotibial band, is in, in fact snapping over that location.
0: Well, my thanks to you, Dr. Brian Kelly, for being our guest today. We've been discussing how a clinician can accurately diagnose non-arthritic hip pain in both recreational and elite athletes. I'm Dr. Mary Lusharz. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, a channel for medical professionals. Thanks for listening.